0: Speaking of nothing, where's Bud? Well, it's fall, so you know another school year is beginning, which
1: means your brother is upstairs trying on another persona in hopes of attracting a girl. <laughs> he has as much chance of finding a date this year as the cast of Rock does getting served at Denny's.
2: Let's <laughs> Rock.
0: Thanks, Dad.
2: Can I get a wolfman? Whoa. Whoa.
3: No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast.
4: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast. This is Luigi, and I've learned my country sayings like ornery and I thought you was 18. (laughs)
5: <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Chris, and it's the fall, so you know what I'm doing. I'm sitting down in my basement trying to figure out which one of my personas in an attempt to attract a girl is my favorite. Is it Joey Buttafuoco, Grandmaster B, Indiana Bundy, Tito Bundy, Butterrachi, or this year's persona, Billy Ray Bundy? Country is in, you know. Damn straight, Missy. <laughs>
4: okay so today we are reviewing (laughs) proud to be your bud season eight episode three original air date september 19th 1993 directors tony singletary writers stacy lip and michael moy so we know this is going to be a good one special guest stars michelle nicholas as libby so the other bundies think that Bud is flipped out when they overhear his basement conversation with his cool alter ego who arrives from another universe and shows Bud the tactics on picking up women. Meanwhile, Al has a personal battle of his own with a voiceover phone service to order a purchase for a new spare part for the Dodge, which in this case is an alternator.
5: Tonight, when Bud strikes out again, he swears off women forever.
4: Sounds like a good plan. Wish I thought it.
5: An all-new Married with Children. Then, when father and son drive each other crazy, they turn to therapy. This
1: is the perfect opportunity for a little will reversal.
5: Richard Lewis and Don Rickles are trading places. I think I'll
2: go upstairs and I'll wash my hair with 25 pounds of, of moose.
5: Daddy dearest. I think I'm going crazy. An all-new episode following Married with Children tonight on Fox.
4: Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. Last week we heard our inaugural episode for the new Married with Children podcast team that's working on this. Now that our beloved Alex has moved on to other ventures and we wish him well. So today the team of Luigi and Chris is having its inaugural episode, both Danless, Jamieless, <laughs> Alexless, as well as the our team of Stephen, annabelle and uh, tyler so we hope you like our show and we'll get started now chris this is your first time on the married with children podcast and you've been a big fan on the facebook page uh, so why don't you tell the fans a little bit about yourself and how you got into married with children
5: yes sir i'd be happy to yes yeah, so i uh, i guess i'm 35 and i have really been watching married with children for as long as i can remember and it's kind of funny uh, because I have no idea why my parents let me watch the show when I was four or five years old. <laughs> it, it's, kind of, it's kind of ironic because I came from a pretty conservative family. You know, we were in church two or three times a week, but then married with children was our guilty pleasure on Sunday evenings, you know. <laughs> so and it's like, That's great. You know, and it's like th- this particular episode that we're going to be talking about today, I was eight years old when it aired. And half of the jokes I didn't get at the time, but I get them now, you know, but I was just like, this morning I was searching back in my memory banks and I was trying to remember the first episode that I ever remember seeing. And I have to say, it's probably the season two, you better watch out episode. It's a legendary episode with the, with the lakeside mall, you know, and where Santa Santa falls to his death. And, and I must've been about five or maybe six years old at the time and Thank God I already knew that Santa wasn't real, if not that episode probably would have traumatized me for life.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, on but, that episode they have that black screen that comes up. It's yep. like, you know, the, the following depicts a bundy Christmas, viewer discretion is yep. advised. So that yep. I remember the first seeing that for the first time and I was like, "Hmm, I've never seen this before." <laughs> yep. Yep.
5: Yeah, man, it's just like that's it's so funny, but I have no idea why I was allowed to watch the show but I was, you know, we watched it uh every you know every week faithfully um and and i i really started watching it live as it happened probably around season five i would say so most of the episodes from around season five on i, I saw like the sunday that they premiered i mean my, my my favorite episode in the whole series is in season five it's the you better shop around one the the two-part supermarket episode It's a very very famous episode it's my personal favorite. I mean, between them moving into the supermarket and Al quote unquote shopping where he's just following the girl around and dropping stuff. <laughs> it just kills me. You know, it's, it's so funny, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've been a fan of the show for, you know, roughly 30 years now. And I, I, actually, I have no idea how, but I managed to not find the podcast until about a year and a half ago. I joined about a year and a half ago and, uh, have been following ever since. And, You know, I'm uh, really enjoyed listening to Alex and Jamie, Dan, uh, JP, Jerry, and and, you know certainly you and Annabelle and everyone else who's contributed to the show in one way or the other along the way. So very happy to join you today.
4: Yeah, and we're really excited to have you. You know, as you know, uh, you know, uh, to at least to our listeners. I mean, Chris knows this. You know, we've we have uh, now three teams of people who do these recordings now. Uh, And we do this so that we can produce a show every week for the next few years and also not put the burden all on one person to have to do the recording and the editing. And, you know, I hope everyone realizes, you know, Alex was doing all of that for three and a half years. So kudos to him. I really tip my hat to him because it's a lot of work. Um, And since we announced that we were taking over the podcast, we really got the true behind the scenes look at everything that it takes to pull off one of these. So. We hope to produce as quality a product as Alex did. You know, we're going to try our best. You're going to lose a little bit of the consistency of having, you know, hearing the same people review things week by week. But these recording teams, you know, we're sort of all in sync. We communicate regularly. We're working off the same set of notes. We have a schedule that we work with. So we're really trying to give you exactly what Alex did and complete his vision for him. So again, thank you, Alex. We really appreciate everything you did. And thank you for giving us this podcast. Okay, so let's uh, get underway. The title for this episode, Proud to be your Bud, comes from a popular Budweiser commercial that aired in 1993.
6: This is your world.
4: So, Kelly walks in and complains about being with stupid people.
1: I am fed out to here with stupid people. (laughs) A customer comes into the diner and he asks for the Norwegian salmon. Then he wants to know if it's fresh. I said, hey, chucklehead. This is Chicago. This is not Norwegia, okay? (laughs) Nothing is fresh. Well, I shouldn't say nothing.
4: (laughs) Now, Kelly is wearing her uniform from the Kelly Doesn't Work Here Anymore episode, so we haven't seen her in her waitress uniform in, in a little while. So, Chris, like you know, you have any thoughts on that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess the first thing that crossed my mind when she walked in was uh, just her hairstyle is a lot different, referring to like season uh, six and seven. You know, I know Alex has mentioned a lot uh, in the past about Kelly, the classic Kelly appearance that most people think of. Generally, they're talking about Kelly from seasons four, five, and six. Well, that that Kelly is completely gone from this point forth. Her hair's a lot shorter, and she just looks a lot different. You know, you mentioned her statement <laughs> about making fun of, of, you know, stupid people, or whatever. And the thing I love best about Kelly Bundy and the, the writing that the, the writers have for Christina Applegate is she's a lot like people in real life because a lot of times the, the, the dumbest person in the room usually thinks they're the smartest person. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if you've ever true. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but you know, Kelly here you know, messes up a very famous phrase, you know, fed out to hear with stupid people or with stupid people wrong. And she, she gets that wrong. She's making fun of stupid people, but she gets it wrong herself.
4: (laughs) Fed up as opposed to fed out. Yeah,
5: exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, and by the way, uh, I don't know if we've got to the point where she turns around yet, but did you notice that the handprint on her butt didn't really make sense? (laughs) She turns around like the, the, where the handprint is on her backside doesn't really make sense. Like, someone would have to be standing next to her and, like, standing over her and reach down and slap her butt, but not how it would be like your hand your palm print would be the up, upside down of how it is in real life but i don't know that yeah. stood out for me
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point you know maybe it was vladi you know from episode one right <laughs> it might have been i know i know kelly wishes it was vladi from, from episode
5: one but yeah it's just like I, I thought about that i was like the props person that did that of course they didn't actually slap christina applegate's butt they just put a palm print on the on the skirt itself but they didn't really think about how you would be standing when you would slap a girl's butt or slap a girl's behind, you know? <laughs> I kind of laughed at that when I saw it.
4: Yeah, so, um, so Kelly and Peg talk about Bud's love prospects for the year.
1: Speaking of nothing,
0: where's Bud? Well, it's fall, so you know another school year is beginning, which means your brother is upstairs trying on another persona in hopes of attracting
1: a girl. He has as much chance of finding a date this year as the cast of Rock does getting served at Denny's.
4: <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, another school year is beginning. There's this joke about how Bud has uh, these different personas. Kelly makes a joke. She says he has as much of a chance as finding a date as the cast of Rock does for getting served at Denny's. <laughs> 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 if you recall, and now, I mean, as a fan of the show, you know, and you were watching it live during this time, do you remember that incident that happened at Denny's
5: I don't remember that specific incident, but I definitely remember some, some issues that Denny's had around that time period. Um, I, I remember that, that they, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had, I, I don't know if it was one Denny's or what, but they had instituted a, a policy that like, black people had to prepay on their meals. And of course, this didn't go over well, and they ended up getting, I believe they ended up getting sued, but <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I,
4: mean, I yeah. No, it's true. I mean, there were there were a bunch of different incidents. The specific one for this, now remember, this episode is airing in September of 1993. Mm-hmm. It was shot in August. In May of that year, there was an incident in a Denny's in Annapolis, Maryland, where six blacks U.S. Uh, Secret Service agents were forced to wait an hour for service while their white companions were seated immediately. So, Danny's got a lot of bad press over that. You know, they were tapping into that. Now, this episode, again, uh, Michael Moy contributed to it, who is black American. So, you know, he's injecting some humor and also making a comment on present-day culture in terms of what's happening. And, it's, you know, it's very poignant, obviously, today, because it's something that 30 years later, we're still dealing with incidents like that, unfortunately.
6: Yeah.
4: Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Rock was a American comedy drama a series that aired from August... 1991 to May 1994. It's, it starred Charles S. Dutton as a Baltimore garbage collector, Rock Emerson, and Ella Joyce as his wife, Eleanor. And it was part of Fox's Sunday night lineup with married cool. children. So that was, I think, one of the other tie-ins. You know, they're trying to um, market other Fox shows that same at the exact same time. One thing I do remember about Rock was they had a promotion at some point where they actually aired a live episode, and the, th- the point of that was it was like one of the first episodes that aired live probably since the 1950s, since like the days of the Honeymooners. It's just a little tidbit about rock that I remember. So, Bud walks down the stairs, and he comes down looking like a cowboy.
1: Let me guess, Billy Ray Bundy. <laughs>
7: Damn straight, Missy.
5: (laughs) Country is in.
1: Well, then what country are you?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was totally funny. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in Texas, and, you know, if you've ever been to Texas or if you've heard of any Texas jokes... It's always that all Texans are cowboys and you know, we go to rodeos and ride horses to, to work every day and a lot of those stereotypes are overblown, but we do go to rodeos every year and we dress very similar to how Bud is dressed right there. <laughs> I don't know if he's Billy Ray Bundy or Yosemite Sam as Al says later in the episode or what, but that's that's how a lot of us dress. <laughs> when we go to the rodeos at least.
7: Now, I've chewed my weight in Red Man. I've learned my country sayings like Arnery and Thought you was 18. <laughs> so, as I live and barely breathe in these jeans, I'll be riding the country charts tonight.
4: So he says that he's chewed his weight in Red Man. I do not know what that was, <laughs> but um, uh, maybe you might uh, uh, enlighten us, Chris.
5: Uh, isn't that a type of chewing tobacco, I think, if I'm not yes. mistaken? Okay. <laughs> yes,
4: I, I had to look it up because, you know, I grew up in New York City, so yeah. a lot of this stuff is foreign to me. Yeah,
5: I- <laughs> I don't do chewing tobacco. I just, I remember, I remember seeing those at stores though, you know, like at Walmart and, and Target even, I, I think even to this day, you know, I, like I said, I've never chewed on chewing tobacco in my life, but I
4: do remember seeing those. <laughs> so Kelly makes a comment.
1: Well, I've got to admit, it's better than last year. Remember he bought that wig, gained 30 pounds and called himself Joey Buttafuco. <laughs>
4: I remember the year before he had bought a wig, gained 30 pounds, and called himself Joey (laughs) Buttafuoco. So, I mean, you just talked about Texas. So, uh, this incident happened actually very close to where I grew up. This is uh, the Joe Buttafuoco, Amy Fisher story. Joey Buttafuoco was a auto body shop owner from Long Island who had a sexual relationship with a minor, Amy Fisher. Mm-hmm. She went and shot his wife, Mary Jo, in the head, and Mary Jo survived. And she survived to this day. You know, it was all over the tabloids. I, I know it made national news, but yeah. you know, if you were around, the, especially the New York City area, uh, and, at, during that time period, it was on the front page of like the Daily News and the New York Post every mm-hmm. single day. Yeah, you know, the, the infamous Long Island Lolita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah,
5: I remember that story.
4: So Al Walk (laughs) said...
2: Peg, I must be hallucinating. I could have swore that uh, Yosemite Sam just passed me. (laughs)
6: Yosemite Sam! It's Yosemite, Yosemite Sam. Sam! Yosemite Sam! Yeah, Yosemite, Yosemite Sam. Sam! The roughest, toughest, he-man, toughest hombre has ever crossed the Rio Grande, and I ain't no man be pandy. Now all of you skunks, clear out of here!
4: And he says that uh, Bud looks like Yosemite Sam. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now, in our last episode, in episode 802, we did talk a little bit about, you know, it was a little bit of like a Looney Tunes type of element to the show. And Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about uh, Foghorn Leghorn. So if you listen to... uh, episode two of this season uh, you would have heard that commentary so we've gone through another Looney Tunes character
5: yep yep (laughs) can I uh can I comment on Al's black pants for a second (laughs) they just look weird as heck man you know I know uh in the last couple of seasons Alex has pointed out you know that weird purple shirt that Al starts wearing in the second half of the show which I totally agree with what Alex said I'm not a fan of the purple shirt but these black pants just look weird as heck. <laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> he's wearing his normal shirt. I mean, that's that's just about the normal shirt, the you know, the traditional classic shirt that Al wears. But I don't know what's up with those pants. <laughs> where's the where's the brown pants at, Al? Come on, man.
4: <laughs> so Al comes in and uh, talks about uh, trouble in finding an alternator for his Dodge. Oh, well, as you know, I've
2: had a wee peck of trouble finding an alternator from a Dodge.
0: Yes, and a deodorant that your body won't reject.
2: <laughs> and a wife that my body won't reject. Anyway, after painstaking research to find this part, a bum told me to call Herb's World of Junk in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. So, you know what this means? It means I'm going to get my part. All I got to do is call 800
4: head on. <laughs>
8: Welcome to Irv's World of Junk.
4: Now, in the modern world of 2020, this is a very poignant because if you think about the way things were 30 years ago, there was no real internet that people used to buy goods and services. So, you know, you usually have to buy things from a catalog mm-hmm. or from like a call center. So... This is stuff that I remember. They're going to go through this whole <laughs> joke about, you know, being on a call with that call attendant. It's like, press one for this and press two for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, today a lot of that stuff is done with artificial intelligence. Yep. But back then, and like you can talk and you can say, you know, give me an operator. But back then, if you had one of those attendants, you actually had to wait for them to finish and to hit the number. Mm-hmm. You know, it was still a very much an analog world. Uh, that we lived in, so I mean, I think that the joke, you know, looking at it through the prism of today is, it's funny, but it's also a great time capsule because the world isn't like that anymore.
5: Yep. And you know, as far you know, like you were just saying, as far as looking for obscure parts and everything, I, I just actually went through a situation here at my house. This is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I had a rat here in the house, and it it got up underneath my dishwasher and chewed a hole through one of the hoses. And, and this specific hose is so obscure that you can't even find it at Home Depot or Lowe's. I, I went to Home Depot, Lowe's. I went to Ace Hardware. I went to all these different places. None of them carried it. And the only way to find the hose was I'd either have to basically order from the manufacturer or find an old dishwasher that someone was looking to throw away. So uh, 30 years ago, I would have been up a creek. But I just went to my Facebook neighborhood group, that my, the, the neighborhood I live in, and I posted, anybody looking to get rid of an old dishwasher? <laughs> and, of course, someone said, yeah, we're sitting ours out, and, and I got the hose off of it. So, But it's, it's amazing how times should change. Had that happened 30 years ago, I would have probably either had to go to a junkyard or buy a whole new dishwasher or something.
4: <laughs> so now we get to um, Irv's World of Junk.
5: Welcome to
8: Irv's World of Junk. Hey, Irv, it's Al Bundy here. If you gonna... like these instructions in Spanish. <laughs> press one. For French, press two. (laughs) I don't
2: you love these things?
8: For Cajun, press four. And for English, press five. You have pressed five. You speak English. If your car is Swedish, press one. If your car is Japanese, press two. If your car is Japanese, but made in America, (laughs) in a patronizing attempt to pretend we have a viable automobile industry, press three.
4: Now, um, what's interesting about this, they mention a specific place called Woonsocket, Rhode Island. I don't think I could find it. I don't know if it's a real spot, so I'm wondering if maybe just it was like an inside joke. Uh, with some member of the staff, but it was just interesting. It's a member of the writing staff, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And and the phone number for us is like 800 head-on, I guess. you know, <laughs> So head-on in terms of like head-on collisions. I thought that was really funny. So when Al gets to the attendant, it's like every uh, option that he wants is the last option that he'd have to hit. So it's like, for French, for Spanish, press one. For French, press two. <laughs> Swedish, Japanese, and you went through the whole thing. It's like an English is like you know number you know fifty two on the list.
5: <laughs> yep, yep. It's so funny because, uh, like you were saying, it, it is a bit of a time capsule, and it's hyperbole, of course. But we all remember calling those automated systems where you had to wait and wait and press all these numbers. And I, uh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but I totally thought the writers missed an opportunity for a joke because, of course, there's going to be a French option. And we all know of Al's disdain for the French, but I don't know. I sort of, I sort of feel like they missed a chance at a joke there for Al to crack some sort of shot at French people.
4: <laughs> I remember in um, season one, the last episode that was the Johnny B, um, the Johnny B Good episode, Johnny B Gone. Yep. <laughs> he's like helping Bud like assemble something, and it's like he's, all the instructions are in different languages. Uh-huh. <laughs> <And> it's like. <laughs> It's like they're in German, they're in Japanese or something like that. And then he's like, I was like, Oh, these are in French. It's like, well, more people we should have killed, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No, classic, classic jokes. Yep, yep.
5: And that was a perfect (laughs) chance to to throw one of those in there.
4: (laughs) Now. So Bud goes outside and gets the crap kicked out of him by a Native American parade parade marching in front (laughs) of his house.
7: (laughs) What are the odds of running into a Native American Pride Parade marching half a block from our house?
1: Bob, you're going about this all wrong. Now, you keep trying to change the clothes that you wear, but what you really need is a new head. And while you're at it, a new body to put it on.
7: No. Thanks for caring, but this is it for me. I will neither seek nor accept a date from any woman for the rest of my life. Instead, I shall live out the rest of my days in the basement, as the gnome you've always said that I was. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye forever.
1: Oh. <laughs> Gee, I, I feel kind of bad. Well, honey, you were pretty hard on him. No, I'm fine with that, but I think I should have told him there's no third step. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now, now, Chris, being from Texas, is this something that... It would be common, like in other words, I assume they're Native Americans in that part of, you know, that part of the U.S., so is there like some animosity between the two groups?
5: Uh, no, Well, at least not where I live. Now, Texas, you know, I mentioned earlier a lot of Texas stereotypes. People don't realize just how huge Texas is. I, I live in the suburbs of Houston. Now, Houston is a lot different than like East Texas, which is a really rural country area. West Texas is like the desert, and then up in the panhandle, uh, like the very top part of the Texas, where Amarillo and Lubbock. I wouldn't be surprised if there is some animosity up there, because uh, that's close to Oklahoma, where a lot, you know, the state of Oklahoma has a lot of uh, reservations and things like that, but not anywhere I, near where I live. I mean, Houston, for example despite all the stereotypes houston really isn't that much different than new york city or la or any other big city you know so not anywhere anywhere
4: live. (laughs) yeah just just really spread out you know i've been to houston a few times and i could just say it's like you know you could drive 40 miles and you're still in houston well yeah yeah sure yeah um all right so uh, bud makes his way into the basement uh, and he's very upset And Al stays on the phone, and all of a sudden, you know, we keep hearing, we hear these names of these defunct American car companies on the teleprompter.
0: Al, Bud is really upset.
8: Bud's upset. Listen to this. If your car is a Pacer, press 61. (laughs) If your car is a Studebaker, press 62.
0: he said that he is never dating again, and he wants to live in the basement forever.
8: Sounds like a good plan. Wish I thought of it. If your car is a Hudson Hornet, press 67.
4: So Pacers, Studebaker, Hudson Hornet. A lot of these car companies were car companies of the that were still around like in the 40s, 50s and 60s. So again, I feel like, you know, I've said this before, the writers of the show are paying homage to their childhood. A lot of this show When you look at it in its entirety across the seasons, what you see is a lot of references to pop culture of the 50s and 60s. When these writers, people who were 40 years old in 1993, are writing about things that they remember from their childhood. So, you know, over the course of 30 years, to them, like Studebakers, no longer exist. Pacers, etc. Don't longer exist in 1993. So here we are in 2020. I mean, Oldsmobile's gone, you know, if we remember that from our childhood. Yep. We've seen some car brands, like Saturn was one. Remember, like, that sort of was born and died. The DeLorean. I mean, there's others. But just to, it's just interesting. It's like, the same way that things change for them, things have also changed for us, even though sometimes we think they haven't changed, they have changed.
5: Yeah, yeah, you know, I was just thinking, is, is Pontiac still around? I mean, it is, but not like it was. I mean, I, I remember when...
4: No, you're right. I, that was also defunct.
5: Yeah, I mean, the, the one of the big cars I liked as a kid was the Pontiac Firebird. You know, I haven't seen one of those in a long time now. <laughs> if you build it, he
7: will come. <laughs> <laughs> that you, Kel? Mom? Dad? Buck? Oh, God. Is this how that rainbow wig guy got started?
4: So they make a comment about the rainbow wig guy. Now, this is interesting. The rainbow wig guy is somebody that we see a few times in season eight or a few times in the show. And Chris, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't
5: think so. I don't know if I caught that joke. Let me me look at my notes here.
4: It's a very random and obscure reference, but it actually is. It was a thing during that time so we actually see a rainbow wig guy later on in season eight of the no ma'am episode, but there is, there's is something here that, uh, we do need to talk about. So, the rainbow wig guy was a, name, a guy named Roland Frederick Stewart, who was born in 1944, mm-hmm. who was a fixture in American sports culture, best known for wearing a rainbow-colored Afro-style wig and holding up signs reading John 316 at stadium sporting events around the U.S. <laughs> and overseas in the 70s and 80s. He is currently serving three life sentences in Mule Creek State Prison after being convicted of multiple kidnapping charges after a 1992 incident. So, you know, I mean, again, this is the dark humor of um, Married With Children. And what John 3.16 is, uh, I had to look this up, I'm not... You know, uh, I'm a Catholic, but I'm not necessarily familiar with the Bible. Um, yeah. John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I don't know what that has to do with sports. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it has to do with a rainbow wig, but it's pretty funny.
5: <laughs> well, uh, well, Luigi, let, let, let me ask you this. Do you know what Austin 3.16
4: is? No, I do not.
5: <laughs> I don't know if you watch wrestling or not, uh, but that was uh, a very famous wrestler named Stone Cold Steve Austin.
4: I, th- he, I kinda, remember him. Yes, kind
5: of, kind of, what started the Attitude Era and, and you know, kind of Stone Cold's great run in the late nineties, early two thousands was he said, "Austin three sixteen says I just kicked your ass." <laughs> and <Okay>. anyways, <laughs> after he said that, pra- he said that phrase once, not knowing that it was going to blow up, and like the next night on Monday Night Raw half the people in the audience were holding signs that said Austin 316. And then, like, I mean, within a week, you saw merchandise everywhere, shirts, hats, everything that said Austin 316. And that was one of the things that really kicked off the Attitude Era of w- you know, WWE now, but it was WWF wrestling back then. But anyways.
4: Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. Oh, no, that, that that's great. <laughs> so Bud's in the basement.
0: Bud? Yeah, Ma. Uh, what are you doing? Building. What are you building? I don't know. (laughs) So why are you doing it? So he'll come. (laughs) So
1: who'll come, dear? Him. (laughs) Oh. I think we should call Janet Reno. She'll know what to do.
4: So the comment about Janet Reno has to do with the the incident at Waco. Mm -hmm. And Waco, if I'm not mistaken, was in 1993. I think early in 1993 whole Branch Davidian thing. So uh, do you remember that, you know, being a resident of Texas at the time? You
5: know, I do remember it. It's obviously a very big, you know, it was not a good situation. But I, uh, you know, my parents didn't let me watch that on the news because there was, you know, there was people being held captive and there was a standoff and a a bunch of people ended up dying. Uh, you know, and anyways, I was eight years old at the time, so <laughs> I was allowed yeah. to I was allowed to watch Married with Children, but not watch the news on on Waco siege.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was a siege just for everyone. Just to look it up very quickly, between February 28th and April 19th of 1993, the Branch Davidians were led by David Koresh, and they were a religious group. The federal government went in; and it was a little bit of a debacle. I mean, you could look it up if anyone's more interested in that. But, you know, again, you know, the Married with Children writers are talking about, you know, what's happening in pop culture in 1993. So, Chris, here's an interesting piece of dialogue.
0: Oh, this is all my fault. I knew when he was a baby I should have gotten him a proper sitter. (sighs) But, you know, Buck was right there and the price was
4: right. So, (laughs) you had a, um, I know it's sort of like a little segue, but you were on the Price is Right. Maybe do you want to tell the fans a little bit about your, um... You know your big win there.
5: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to bog the whole podcast down, but I uh, I did appear on uh, The Price Is Right recently, and I had a great deal of luck. I won um, rough uh, just about forty thousand dollars worth of prizes. I won a new car, a six day vacation to Australia, a bunch of home gym equipment, a bunch of uh, kitchen stuff, kitchen countertop appliances, a giant boombox, all types of cool stuff. So. That was one of my childhood dreams to one day appear on that show. And uh, if anyone is a Price is Right fan out there, you're welcome to go to YouTube and type in uh, May 20th of 2020, and you'll see me on there. I was one of the first four to get called down. So it was quite an experience.
4: (laughs) Uh, That's great. And, you know, I I did see you posted that on your Facebook page, and I did watch that. So that's great. I mean, I can remember probably some of my earliest memories are, like, being at home watching the Price is Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... And actually, I joke with people a lot. Whenever uh, someone says that it's like, "Oh, they're homesick" or something like that, I say, "Don't forget, you know, The Price is Right is on at 11. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep,
5: yep. That uh, was that was that was one of those things you did in the you know the '80s and '90s. If you were homesick or during the summer, you watched The Price is Right. And for me, it was like you know chicken noodle soup <laughs> and right, The Price right. is Right. Bob I
4: remember getting yeah, I remember having the chicken pox when I was in kindergarten and that was like you know, it was like the ritual I had. I was probably like homesick for a week or something like that, and just you know, like you said, it's chicken noodle soup sitting in front of the T V watching the prices right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Now Some of the costumes, I mean, just to go back to uh, Bud, some of the costumes that he's wearing, you know, they have costumes and dates next to them. So, Billy Ray Bundy is 1993. (laughs) Joey Budifuco is 1992. (laughs) There's this reference to Grandmaster B for 1991. We'll come back to that in a minute. There's Indiana Bundy in 1990. Tito Bundy. <laughs> so that's uh, you know a reference to the Jacksons for 1989 and Butterachi for 1988. <laughs> now, what's interesting about Grandmaster B was that Grandmaster B was done in season six during that whole series of episodes when Al was having a dream. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of. And, um, you know, when he got out of when Al got out of the dream, he mentions Grandmaster B to Bud. But we don't actually get a lot of Grandmaster B plot lines after that. So that's a, that's a little interesting homage back to season six.
5: Yeah, it sure is. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they included it there. But I, and, and, you know, it's kind of funny. I never really thought about that. But you're right. We don't get a lot of Grandmaster B after Al wakes up from the dream. It's a shame because, you know, everybody loves Grandmaster B.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so we hear this voice. If you build it, he will come. <laughs> so, that obviously is from the 1989 American fantasy drama sports film Field of Dreams, written and directed by Phil Robinson, adapting from W.P. Kinsella's novel Shoeless Joe. It stars Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, and Burt Lancaster in his final film role. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, including for the Best Original Score best adapted screenplay and best picture. So, do you remember much about that movie?
5: Chris? Uh, yeah, I've seen the movie. It's kind of funny when I when this episode aired, you know, I watched it night of and I had never seen the movie at that point. I remember asking my parents. I was like, "What is it if you build it, he will come?" I was like, "What what is that? What does that mean?" And they're like, "It's from a from a baseball movie." I was like, "Ah." Oh. And I ended up watching, you know, that movie because of this show.
4: <laughs> yeah. Now, what what I what I thought interesting about this is you know during the the whole run of the show they make a few references to this whole Shoeless Joe Jackson story season 5 episode 4 The Unnatural and there are some other uh, references throughout the show so very very interesting that I guess somebody was a baseball fan or or was really fascinated by this uh, movie because the story of Shoeless Joe is also uh, talked about in Eight Men Out I think that was like 1988 or 1989
0: Mm-mm. And you know, I shouldn't have given him pez and said they were vitamins.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I bet girls would have dated him if I hadn't told everybody in school that he only had one buttock.
4: So, uh, you know, I know that uh, if uh, Dan's listening, he'll probably get a chuckle out of this one. I was in Austria about two and a half years ago on vacation. And what I learned while I was there is that pez is actually an Austrian candy. Pez is an abbreviation of, uh, I know I'm going to butcher this, uh, Pfefferermens, which is German for peppermint. Um, so it's a candy that was first made in 1927 in Vienna. We cut back to Al, still on the phone.
0: <laughs> Al, you gotta do something about the boy. Now, wait a second, Pig, I've gone this far.
2: In just a few more minutes, I'm gonna have my alternator now.
8: If your Dodge is still on the road, press one. <laughs> if your Dodge is on blocks, press two. <laughs> If your dodge is on fire, (laughs) press
4: 3. I think it's great. It's like, you know, if if your dodge is on fire, press (laughs) 3. So if if you need an alternator, (laughs) you still need an alternator, and your dodge is on fire, what do you need it for?
5: (laughs) I cracked up at that, man. The thing that really cracked me up, you know, not to, I guess, jump the gun here, but the thing that really cracked me up there at the end is it said... If you'd like to speak to an operator, press zero.
4: <laughs> yes, so he and he's asleep. Yeah, yeah.
5: he could have he could have pressed zero at any point and gone to the operator, which you know is I think that's pretty much common knowledge nowadays. Most people know if you want to uh, speak to an operator, you press zero. But you'll notice a lot of the companies have gotten really smart, and they they've made it to where zero doesn't go to the operator. It's more like oh, yeah. press seven to go to the operator or press to go to the operator or something. You know
4: what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you, like, you know, once these things started, you know, these phone attendants started to be that you could talk to them, Mm -hmm. you know, I would always scream into it, customer service, customer service, because one of the things you have to know is that they also react to your emotions. So if you're angry, they try to get you to a person. Well, at least they did a few years ago. I don't know if if, (laughs) if that's one of the things that happens anymore, but uh, I think it's kind of funny how... That just continues. They want you to go through the phone attendant so that you don't talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the things that annoys me the most is when it's like you've already provided them information up front, and then yep. like you get yep. you get a human being. It's like they're asking you, Oh, "Excuse me, like what's your name? Like what are you calling about?" It's like why did I do that at the beginning? You know to get routed to this place, right? And it's like you should know by now.
5: Yep, yep, and that's my thing, like. I, usually, by the time I get someone on a live person on the phone, I'm so irritated and so mad. But I'm like, I'm not one of those people that calls and, and takes it out on the operator. I know they're just doing their job. You know what I mean? But it's just like it's so frustrating. It's like I already gave you my name, my zip code, the last four of my social. Why do why do you have to ask again? You know, jeez. <laughs> well,
7: what do you mean you're not me?
5: I mean, you look just like me. Hey,
7: don't insult me. All right, I'm not you. Actually, I'm part of you. I'm the part of you that's cool. (laughs) You're the rest. (laughs) Well, why are you here? Because I can't stand it anymore. I mean, every year you trot me off to the ladies, full of hopes. And every year we come back with your tail between my legs. (laughs) I'll be damned if I'm going to spend the rest of my life down here in this basement. So I'm here to teach you to be cool. Mommy! (laughs) Oh, this is going to be easy.
4: (laughs) Bud meets his alter ego. Now, this person is not credited, uh, but we do know that his body double, his name is Bruce Fine, and he's an actor, and he plays the Bud-like character in season nine's No Pot to Peasin. So, do you remember that episode? That's when there's a, a spoof of their life that ends up on the air?
5: Yep. Yep, excellent episode, which where Kelly sells them out there. But yeah, I, I was reading the notes you have here. That's so interesting. I got to tell you, this body double is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I always wondered how they did that. You know, up until really today, I never knew. I always assumed it was a green screen or something, some sort of trick photography. You know, because right. you know you can you can splice it together. You know, you have David Faustino stand on the left, stand on the right, that type of thing. But on the screen where on the on the scenes where they're both you know sh- where they're both on camera at the same time i had no idea how they did that i always assumed it was some sort of green screen or mirror or something
4: yeah, and that's something, you know, we take for granted nowadays, Chris, because if you think about it, once the show's run ended in 1997, I mean, stuff like CGI was still in its infancy, so, mm-hmm. you know, this was like sort of the last era where you still had to do a lot of work to try to do that on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm thinking about the episode where Al is on the couch with his dad. That's the Brandy Brand episode when he wants his Playboys back. Yep. You know, that had to have been done green screen, mm-hmm. you know, to get, to get himself on that screen in order to do it. But to do it, like, quick and cheap would be, like, well, they just from the camera, it's like you sort of cut, and you, you're you looking at the body double from the back. Yep. Right? And then you just keep switching that camera so until, like, you get the shot. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than trying to do green screen as yep. it was back then. I mean, nowadays, you would just CGI them in. Yep. Right? And you wouldn't know. Like, um, I know in that Star Wars thing, Carrie Fisher died, right? Yeah. So her last views, and I'm not a big Star Wars nut either, but I do know it's like, you know, they had to, through CGI, they were able to recreate her on screen, you know, yeah. but not something you could do back then.
5: Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Star Wars fan, I know the scene you're talking about, but uh, by the way, did you notice, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it's kind of weird, but the body double looks amazing from the front, but the one, that one clip where they show the body double from behind, I don't think that's the actor that you just mentioned, I think... Like they just got another body double to do that uh, because they needed an extra shot or something. Did you notice it doesn't look like him? He looks too heavy set to be Bud. You know what I'm talking I, about? I
4: yeah, I, I, I know that it's not him. But I mean, in terms yeah. of like who it is, I have no idea. But you could, your theory could very well be yeah. accurate. You know? I
5: don't, I don't think that's <laughs> that same actor. He looks way too chubby to be, <laughs> to be the same guy.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, and and by the way, the legendary Annabelle Whitford, the. The top of the top, the cream of the crop, uh, Married with Children fan in the world. You know, her note on this one was that he, this Bruce Fine and David Faustino, uh, had a chat over Instagram a few weeks ago. This we're talking about is May of 2020. Confirmed her theory that he was Bud's body double. So uh, she was very happy to get that confirmation, you know, because she is the world's reservoir of Married with Children trivia. Yep. Yep. And according to her, you know, they've been friends ever since this time because, you know, Bruce Fine was his body double. So maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, uh, everyone, here on uh, the Married With Children podcast. So um, Jefferson comes in with Marcy (laughs) and Jefferson goes downstairs to talk to Bud. Hi
0: there,
7: Bud. Your your mother says there's a little something that's bothering you. How about talking to old Jefferson about it? He thinks I'm not cool. (laughs) Well, we can't have that. Now see here, Mr. Horsey.
0: (laughs) Bud Bundy is a friend of mine. You be nice to him or there'll be no oats for you. Please give me a, Mr. Darcy.
2: I won't be mean to Bud
7: There, Bud. I've taken care of it. You know what I used to do when I was your age, and I was feeling down and out like this? I'd get me a woman. And we'd do it like animals in the car. <laughs> always made me feel better.
4: You should try it, bud
5: Here. It's on
4: me. So, Chris, what'd you think about Jefferson <laughs> giving Bud the condom?
5: Oh, well, two things. First of all, that Jefferson horse exchange thing he did, I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it was just so corny and dumb that it was funny, you know what I mean? It's like And and when I watched this episode as a kid, though that that's what made the show entertaining to me because I didn't I didn't understand most of the adult jokes but the little scenes of you know the little like that little exchange with Jefferson and the horse I thought was funny but I totally remember the condom scene as a kid it's funny that you asked because I had no, obviously I had no idea what a condom was when I was eight years old so I remember asking my dad hey what was that that Jefferson gave Bud and I think he told me it, it was, was a like a balloon well I think he told I think he told me it was like a candy bar or something I don't know and I was like why did you give a candy bar he's like I'll tell you when you're older you know
4: <laughs> but yeah man I,
5: I thought that scene was pretty hilarious
4: uh, that, yeah no that's uh, I think a classic gold. I mean a great setup you know for the payoff later on yep um, so Bud's alter ego tries to highlight to Bud some of his highlights and we get a, a montage. <laughs> Need some help?
7: One good turn deserves another. <laughs> I saw this movie where this mannequin came to life. So if you can talk, please do. But... You know my name. <laughs> do you also know what I like? <laughs> Reginald Bundy, a critic for the Times. You know I get so few chances to see films with the public. This time I want to watch a film exactly as the people do. So, uh, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, well, guys, I guess you're on your own. Winnie wants to uh, go upstairs. Later, Gators. Thank <laughs>
3: Time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ and I'm gonna play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry with Children. <laughs>
4: So the montage has uh, four parts to it. So uh, we have a scene from uh, Season 5, Episode 6, Kelly Bounces Back. We have a scene from Season 7, Episode 5, What I Did for Love. The movie show, Season 7, Episode 21, as well as then a real callback back to Season 3, Episode 19, The Dateless Amigo. And the music we hear in the background is Lonely Boy, uh, written and recorded by Paul Anka. It was released in 1959, and he sang this song in the film *Girls Town*. When it was released, it topped the Billboard Top 100, and became Anka's first song to do so. Billboard ranked it the number five song for 1959. Uh, we later hear this song in episode 18 in *Get Out of Dodge*.
5: Yeah, that uh, I, I, I've heard that song many times, and that uh, it's funny you mentioned that *Get Out of Dodge* episode. That's one of my favorites. It's a uh, it's a legendary episode.
4: <laughs> so Bud's alter ego shows him this uh, beautiful woman who pops up, and this is Libby.
7: So what's your point? <laughs>
4: My point is
7: you have no respect for women. I mean, you treat them as objects rather than real people. Look, I don't like it either, all right? But sometimes to get the babes to put out, you got to pretend. Now, I'm going to give you one last chance. Easy there, Froggy. Go slow. Show her what you've learned. And above all, respect her. (laughs) Smooth move, Gilligan.
4: Now, Libby is an actress by the name of uh, Michelle Nicholas. And Michelle Nicholas was just a babe, and she appeared in Babe Watch, <laughs> uh, Married with Children, and Babes, <laughs> interestingly. So, very, uh, very appropriate. Yeah. She smacks the hell out of Bud, you know, uh, just like in the movie show. It's like (laughs) he gets smacked clear across the room.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I always wonder, how did they do that? Because that's not one of the dummies that, uh, you know, everybody knows that Married with Children, especially in the second half of the show, they have these dummies made up for Bud, Al, uh, Griff, and Bob Rooney, and some of the others that that we get after the Nomad episode. But uh, in this episode and the movie episode and some others, we see Bud and other people, you know, they're stunt actors, of course, but how do they do that? Do they just launch them across the room and make sure the camera's there? Like, how do they do yeah, that? Yeah,
4: you, know, I, I, really, uh, you know, I'm really curious myself. I know, for example, like, I mean, people who work as, you know, stunt men or stunt women in Hollywood, like, they do that. Like, we've seen that in Married with Children. Like, the guy who plays Norris. I guess I, I don't know what happens, but maybe, you know, at some point we might be able to interview some of these people and find out, like, behind the scenes. How, how did you get launched across the room?
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you really think about it just from a production standpoint, like, I'm, I'm watching the scene right now, actually. So all you'd have to do, basically, is just jump across the camera backwards and just have a, you know, a mat there where you can land. And stunt guys are used to, be, you know, they're able to take a fall without breaking their back i guess so it's just funny though because traditionally we think about married with children we think about the dummies you know flying around but in quite a few of these it's definitely not a dummy
4: (laughs) (laughs) well they didn't launch kelly right so there you go yeah man why did we never get kelly that's a shame so al finally gets his alternator
8: your responses indicate that you own a Bernsey and a mid century Dodge with 800,000 miles. <laughs> to verify this information, press one. Hello, Mr. Bundy. <laughs> a live operator will be with you in a moment. Hey, a real person's gonna be on with me in a minute.
0: That's nice, dear. Help me! Help me! He's trying to merge with me! I'll save you, baby! I'll call the police. Papa? <laughs> uh, Do you need someone to talk to? Uh, Pull him
7: off me! He's taking over. Mom. Oh, pull him off me.
0: Well, I don't know, honey. Uh, he's really, really big. Uh, I better just go get your daddy to help me. You hold him there. I'll be right
4: back. Oh, Hello, Mr. Bundy.
2: Operator, you're alive.
4: <laughs> Barely.
6: But it beats selling time like books. Now, if you'll just give me your credit card number, we'll send your part right out.
0: Al, Al, you have to help our son. No, no, Peg, I got
2: a live person on the phone here. Oh, man. In a couple hours, I'm going to be tooling in my Dodge. Operator, I got to go get my wallet. Out of the way, woman!
4: One of the things funny about this line of dialogue is that your responses indicate that you own a burnt sienna mid-century Dodge with 800,000 miles. <laughs> to verify this information, press 1. Hello, Mr. Bundy. So I guess he's the only one in the world <laughs> who has this. Yep. Uh, you know, so the car color is listed as burnt sienna. It's a 1974 Dodge in the old insurance Dodge episode last season, and it's a 1971 Dodge in season ten, turning Japanese. So, hmm. uh, for our continuity people, they're still not able to provide us with continuity on the Dodge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> later on, we do find out it's the wrong color, but uh, we still haven't gotten there.
5: <laughs> and I loved how they mentioned that you know it has 800,000 miles. From from continuity standpoint, that at least shows that I don't know if they had the the million mile. Get out of Dodge episode written already at this point, or what? But I guess we're to assume from this point he drives about 200,000 miles <laughs> in the next few months. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. That. You know, and, and that's a great point that you make because, uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, we're talking about episode. Eighteen, I believe, is the the million uh, million mile Dodge episode. That is, uh, get out of Dodge. So we have to believe that in sixteen weeks he drove two hundred thousand miles. <laughs> so uh,
2: okay,
4: we'll we'll check continuity on that. Now, when Al gets the operator on the phone, uh, he says, "Operator, you're alive," and you hear the woman's voice. She says, "Barely, but it beats selling Time Life books." Now, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but the voice of that woman sounds like the woman who did those Time Life book commercials back then.
5: Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it?
4: Right? So Time Life was a company founded by Time, Inc. in 1961 as a book marketing division. Its name derives from Time and Life magazines, two of the most popular magazines of the era, both owned by the company, sellers of book series that would be mailed to households in monthly installments, operating as a book sales club. And, you know, this was the public's pre-internet internet. So again, that was the way that um, people would market things. You remember you belong to a book club or, you know, you'd have like these little things. It's like the CD of the month, you know, the book of the month. They'd send them to you, you know, and you'd pay like, they would tell you it's like you're, you're paying at a discounted price for a book but or CD or something like that. Or you remember those commercials like for like, uh, if you want any of the greatest hits of the 60s, you know, <laughs> they would mail them to your house. I don't know if you remember these things, but it was really popular, at least in the area of the U.S. where I was.
5: Yeah, I remember those. It was those late-night commercials. And and I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like at least until the last few years, those commercials were still playing. I mean, now everybody pretty much streams everything. You know, nobody wants a hard copy of a CD or a DVD or Blu-ray or whatever because pretty much everybody streams stuff. But I feel like those commercials you're talking about were playing up until – just the last handful of years, really.
4: Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it probably if you're of a certain age that's maybe like technophobic, I mean, there's still people who like, for example, CDs in their car or, you know, encyclopedias or stuff. And again, usually it's like the older crowd, although not always necessarily, but um, it's just that you see less and less of that today. But yeah. I mean, it was still very much a way of life at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so poor Al. You know, he finally's got the woman on the phone, and, you know, Kelly hangs up the phone. <laughs>
0: uh, Bud, you know, it's never too late to take vitamins. Oh, I had my
7: Pez this morning, Mom. <laughs> you
1: may have got that Pez. Damn job, damn life, damn diet. <laughs> Daddy says never waste electricity. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Pumpkin.
6: I got a real
4: person. Great payoff on that Pez joke. (laughs) Dude, dude,
5: I got to tell you something. When Al set that phone down and walked away, was there any doubt in your mind that someone was going to hang up? I I didn't know if it was going to be Peg that does it or Bud that walks in and does it unsuspectingly, but or maybe Marcy comes in and, and and you know takes it as an opportunity to you know hurt Al because we all know they feud a lot. But there was no doubt somebody was going to hang that phone up.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? What you know, just going back to Bud now? What I don't understand is he and his alter ego merge, right? So he comes up and he says it's cool, everything's cool now. So you would think there would be some continuity at this point, saying it's like well. You know, does this mean that Bud's going to be a cool person from now on in season eight and onward? Yeah. So I, I mean, I get watching it in its first run. So Chris, you watched it in its first run as me. It's like, okay, like, what does this mean?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And that was like, you know, sort of when I got out of this, like, you know, when I saw that episode the first time, I'm like, okay, does this mean that, you know, something's going to change with this character? Um, at this point in time, I remember I was starting my sophomore year in high school. Yeah. So I'm like, hmm, like what's happening? And then, you know, we get to the next episode and then just Bud is Bud. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So like, I'm wondering, like, what, what was the purpose of the, of the episode?
5: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's sort of weird. And, you know, I know Alex and Jamie and Dan have touched on this quite a bit in the past, how once we get to the point where, where Bud starts getting laid, at least on at least semi-regular occasion, the, the joke is. It doesn't make sense anymore. A lot, you know, as far as him struggling with women, but it's still funny. Like we still laugh at the joke because it's hilarious when him and Kelly are going back and forth at each other, and girls are slapping him and stuff. But really, if you think about it, like if you think about this chronologically, and you think about a season as, as being a, we'll call it a year or whatever. At, at this point in the show, Bud is getting laid fairly regularly I would say, wouldn't you? I mean from Yeah, no, no, I, mean, yeah I mean
4: I mean from, from being a total loser, I mean he's definitely getting and like I mean and not just like, getting laid, he's getting like some really beautiful women.
5: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So
4: it, it makes you wonder, it's like, you know, what are his tactics? I mean, you know, like at one point, like for example, he's like a nude model. <laughs> I mean he's doing <laughs> some very unorthodox things in order to accomplish that. Is just it's just a very interesting like construct. Technically if he was a loser Right. I mean, like he would be in the basement and he wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> he would be with Isis. Right? Yes. Yep,
5: <laughs> yep. Hey, hey, by the way, and, and I could totally be wrong because uh, I haven't sat down and watched season seven recently, at least in chronological order. But is this the first episode where we see Bud in the basement or is was he in the basement before as far as living there or like moving uh-huh. in?
4: Well, you're right. Well, technically, he hasn't moved into the basement
5: yet. That's true. He hasn't moved Uh, in. Okay.
4: Season seven, when Al is working out, um, that was the um, Till Death Do Us Part episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked a little bit about that in the last episode. Yeah, this is probably the first time that Bud, yeah, I think you're right. This is the first time that Bud is in the basement.
5: Okay, because I totally think that was a great idea, you know, having Bud, I mean, like you said, he hasn't actually moved down there yet, but he's down there and the, the, you know, the is that he's going to be moving down there at some point. You know, I, I think that's a good idea for his character.
4: <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So finally, Al is really frustrated and he starts hearing things <laughs> and he hears <laughs> I thought that was a great way of rounding out the joke. <laughs> it was, man. It was.
5: And and as always, I, I laugh, but I feel sorry for Al. Because <laughs> we've all, at, at some point in our lives, I think all of us have been on hold with one of those automated services. And we've gone through it. And either A, we get disconnected, or B, our battery dies on our phone. Or some, something happens where we lose them. And you just, like, I don't know if you're like me, but I start cursing. I'm like, I just wasted 45 minutes I have nothing to show for it. In Al's case, it was several hours. But
4: <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, I, I can sort of sympathize with Al. Being 42, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm young enough to know technology, like in the modern way of life, but I'm old enough to remember the old way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember being like on these, you know, being put on hold years ago. Uh, it was probably like in my teens. And it was like before people had mobile phones. And I remember like cordless phones weren't something that we had in my house. Uh, so it was like you're on the phone. You really got to take a whiz, and it's like <laughs> it's like if if I if if the if the person comes on the phone while I'm in the bathroom, you know, like after like three seconds they're gonna hang up and you got to start over again. So yep. it's like, do I just <laughs> wait here, <laughs> you know, maybe like wet myself, <laughs> or you know, or do I risk it? And inevitably, like. I, I feel like you know, just like Al, it's like whatever whatever choice I made was always the wrong choice. Yep. You know, so um, and luckily, at least today with a mobile phone, it's like you can put it on mute and go into the bathroom, <laughs> yep. or go outside, or answer the you know if, if someone rings your door, it's a delivery person. Um, you can do that, but um, it was it was definitely it was a real frustration back in 1993 for a lot of people. So uh, I can sympathize. <laughs> yep,
5: definitely. Hey, one thing we didn't really talk about the the set of the as far as the set of the uh basement i really liked that did, did you notice the eight tracks and uh vinyls in the background and stuff
4: yeah well i mean you know some of those are callbacks to some of al's things and again like what would be in a basement you remember the vinnie verducci episodes like al has his vinyl collection in the basement by the furnace yep yep, yep. right i mean uh, he talks about having a tracks like an eight track of hotel california Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely so yeah i mean like you know that's what al bundy's basement would look like
5: absolutely
0: no ma'am we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review be sure to join their facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates be sure to subscribe to them on the apple podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show to subscribe to their youtube channel Just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review.
4: Okay, so let's wrap this up. So, Chris, how many personas do we need to attract a girl do you give for this episode? Well, I
5: think I'm going to go with three and a half personas in an attempt to attract a g- girl for this episode. Um, I liked it. I thought it was funny. Uh, it's um, you know a funny episode. I thought it had some really good callbacks. I thought the uh, body double was amazing. I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm really glad we did this uh, podcast. Because I learned that that actually was a body double and not just a green screen. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorites or like a legendary episode or anything like that. But uh, I did like some of the continuity things as far as you know, referencing the 800,000 miles on the Dodge and seeing the basement again and seeing the 8-tracks and vinyls and such down there. So I'm going to give it three and a half personas in an attempt to attract a girl.
4: Great, great rating. I'm also going to give it three and a half personas needed in order to attract a girl. Like you, Chris, I I enjoyed the episode. It's got some great jokes. I feel like the whole call attendant thing was funny. It was probably a little overplayed, but I think it needed to be overplayed in order for it to be funny. Uh, So I go back and forth on that. But it was solid. Uh, Not my... Not one of my top episodes, but definitely a, a good episode, maybe better than average episode, and I think that's partly reflected by having Stacey Lip and Michael Moy as the writers on that. Mm-hmm. I was uh, very pleased with it. Again, you know, looking at it objectively, you know, and you know, what I want to say is, when I discovered this podcast, you know, I've always been a fan of the show. Um, I started watching it when I was eight years old in its first run, you know, season one, episode one, at that Fox premiere, and I always enjoyed this show, watched it all the time. What always drew me was it's like unorthodox humor sort of thumbing its nose at traditional things like, you know, Christmas or, you know, holiday, where they always try to take the anti-approach. So, you know, the anti-holiday approach. So, I, you know, I appreciate the humor. I appreciate, you know, the, the construct. But I think for myself, it's like once things get played out, it's no longer fresh. Right. And, you know, um, I think, you know, as you start getting into these later seasons and the freshness of the show starts to wear down because it's like it's like almost the same joke over and over again. So it gets I think it gets harder for them as writers to entertain us. Yep. Because, you know, like, cause you, you have to dig into the well. I mean, I think injecting it with a lot of pop culture helps. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole joke about, you know, like the Janet Reno joke or the uh, Joey Butta Foucault joke or, mm-hmm. you know, I think all that that's it's great. But you know, you—they definitely have to work a lot harder um, to get a five. You know, to, to give me the you know for me to give a five. Absolutely. But I really appreciate. But I really appreciate. You know, when I discovered the podcast, Alex and his crew really made me start looking at the show a different way. Like I always wanted it for entertainment value. I was always always interested in the writing and the jokes. Now it's like you know we're looking at who the casts are, like, you know, the, the sets. And we're really taking a critical eye. It's like, it's not only is the joke funny, is it recycled? Mm-hmm. So I really have to thank them for that and um, thank them for the opportunity. And, you know, and Chris, like, you know, I have to give you a lot of credit. I mean, you when you discovered this podcast, you went back uh, and went on YouTube and provided comments to every single episode that uh, that Alex posted. So that, that was one hell of an <laughs> undertaking.
5: Yeah, I... It's kind of funny, when I discovered it, I, I went through the whole series, I think you guys were in the beginning of season six at the time, uh, probably on about the third or fourth episode of season six, I caught up from season one all the way to that point in about three months, <laughs> which is crazy when you think about it, but yeah, I uh, I totally agree with everything you were just saying about the writing, I, I think as, as far as the... The fra- I guess a lot of people feel that the seasons ten and eleven particularly particularly that their struggles as far as the quality of the show or whatever. I think it's a combination of what you just said and something that I believe it was Alex that pointed out uh, at the very end of season seven uh, as far as Ron Levitt leaving the show. You know when you lose one of your co-creators, you lose fifty percent of of the the ideal and the identity, so to speak. And then as you go along, yeah,
4: the, the magic, Yeah, juice, yeah right. that,
5: that every show that's great has that special something that others don't, you know, it's hard to identify exactly what it is and losing Ron Levitt. And then the, you know, just combining that with there being so many episodes, it, inevitably, no matter who you have at the helm, you're going to start to lose some of the freshness. But um, I, I feel like one of the really good things about the latter seasons, and we'll talk more about this as we go along, is the writing may not have had, had been as, quite as good as the earlier seasons, but the characters and the pop culture was in some cases better. I mean, you know, we get we get No Man, we get Bob Rooney, Ike, Griff, Officer Dan, we get uh, Gary, you know, at the shoe store, we get uh, Miranda, Vera Cruz, De La Hoya, the Cardinal, I'm sure I've... Butchered that. I'm sure I butchered that, but you know who I'm talking about. We get all, yeah, of we get all these characters that are. Gr- these are great characters. I mean, and, and I feel like that that gave the the show an extra jolt, an extra juice, um, uh, a little bit more gas in the tank to to run for a few more seasons. You know what I mean? So.
4: Oh no, absolutely. And you know, uh, I mean, one thing I'll say about season eight, just looking a little ahead, is that they, uh, season seven, and I said this in the season seven wrap up show. Season seven, most of the most of the action happens within the confines of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, in season eight, they need to venture outside the home to get more storylines. Mm-hmm. So you know now you have more storylines of things happening in the shoe store mm-hmm. and uh, all these other characters coming in. And I think that's what made the show last a few more seasons. Yep. I, I I think if they tried to keep it in the home, um, probably probably season eight might have been the last season mm-hmm. for them.
2: Yeah,
5: definitely. I agree, one hundred percent.
4: Okay.
2: All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there.
4: And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds-acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards.
3: Ah, So nice. Here I am, retired. It's fall. We have a whole long fall season ahead of the Married with Children podcast. These guys are doing great. A lot of fun listening to both of these shows so far. Glad to drop in and give my two cents. So, what do I think of Proud to Be Your Bud? Let me tell you, I love this episode. I think it's really really stuck with me my whole life. You know, starting off with the greasy handprint on Kelly's ass. I mean, that guy was like reaching... He was facing her and reaching over the back of... I don't know. I forgot how he slapped her ass. Something weird but that Grease is lucky enough to stay there all day. All of Bud's personas were hilarious and halfway relatable. Because I remember going to school all the time in September, and I always thought, you know, well, no one knows me this year. You know, they do, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll reinvent myself or whatever. I'll be James Dean this year. Or this year, I'm going to be like Zach Morris, or this year, I'm going to be like Dylan something whatever was cool to me at the time i'm sure when i was 12 i thought i was gonna go to school and be like bart simpson so and i mentioned it being fall and uh (laughs) when they see bud i think was al says it must be fall (laughs) like perfect timing fall hit yesterday and then al says that it must be fall in this episode that's released today so that's pretty amazing timing al calling 1-800- (laughs) head-on, <laughs> and it has a million options on the automated system, that is just a great play on those things, man. Uh, it's never that bad, but they it, it is just as annoying as it kind of comes off on this episode, so that was a great play on that. I did always wonder why Bud has all his old personas on display. Like, for what reason would you do that? <laughs> uh, to stare at them and reminisce? You know, Bud building that structure in the basement was pretty cool, and then... He keeps saying, so he'll come. Who will come, honey? He will. <laughs> the split screen was done well, but, um, I think Bud's double needs to drop 30 pounds because that dude has like a thick head and neck and whole body is like thick. Like, if you're going to be Bud Bundy's like stunt double or whatever he was, um, I know it was just this episode, but he, you know, even came back for the other one. But I'm wondering if like he did any of those stunts where Bud was like slapped or thrown or whatever. Um, I know they eventually go to dummies and stuff, but I wonder, uh, you know, at this point, probably not. I'm probably just overthinking that. I have to make some observation here. Come on. Al trying to hang himself with the phone cord. That could be a great meme, you know, talking about, you know, when someone calls you or when your ex tries to get back together with you and gives you a call, whatever. So maybe I'll make that. I find it interesting that Peg is truly concerned for Bud in this episode. That's pretty rare. She doesn't have much concern for her children in any way, shape, or form. We get that cool clip of Bud Bundy's greatest hits. You know, best of his girl failures. I love how the automated call system knew it was Al because of the mileage and car he entered. (laughs) So the climax of this episode is cool. You know, like Bud trying to merge with his loser self and Al finally getting through to the live operator. You know, there's like a big crescendo here, you know? It's like, it's the two things. You wonder what this cool Bud's doing. You wonder if Al's ever going to get through, and they both come together at the same time. It's a a nice moment. So Bud merged with himself, so it's like, well, so are we going to see, like, a new cool Bud from here on out? Like, is he ever going to slip up and be a loser again? I don't really recall, like in a major way if he was nothing but cool from here on out i know he definitely scored with a lot more babes but i don't know if he was cool the whole time from here on out i doubt it al goes to get his credit card and uh puts the phone down kelly comes in and hangs it up because you don't want to waste electricity i mean wow what an ending i mean Just great writing, great concepts all together. I found that interesting, what they did with Bud. It's a very interesting concept. Totally farcical. You know, we all know the show's not grounded anymore. But, you know, again, it's not grounded at all. And if this happened in season one, it would be odd. Or season two or three, for that matter. But it just works here in season eight. You know, that will be said a few times, you know. A lot of the things that they try to do in seven... Just didn't work, even though they were going for the same attempt. Here they did it right. So far, that might not uh, continue as the season goes on, but so far I like it.
4: Four point
0: five out of five. That's all, folks.
4: All right. So, so thank you, thank you very much, Chris. This has been great, and you know, this is our inaugural uh, podcast. I uh, had a great time. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners out there. Uh, love to hear your comments uh, if you want to comment on the Facebook page. Um, again, I uh, want to thank Alex and Dan and Jamie and JP and Jerry and everyone uh, who uh, participated in this in the past for passing the torch over to us. Uh, we'd love to have uh, any and all of them on as guest hosts, you know, uh, scheduling permitting, and, you know, if they'd like to. Um, but it's been great and we hope that you enjoy this and uh, you tune in next week. So next week there'll be another crew. who will be reviewing uh, episode four of season eight. So Kelly is back as the verminator, Bud is off to the frat house and a run of good fortune convinces Al that the Bundy curse dictating uh, that the Bundy curse, which dictates that every silver lining hides a thundercloud is about to strike him down. (laughs) So, um, so again, tune in next time. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Thank you.